1: To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, visit SixthSense.com.
2: So, we have been tracking this group for a very long time.
1: That's Nalani Fraser, senior manager of the advanced analysis team for FireEye Threat Intelligence. She's joined by Fred Plan, a senior analyst on FireEye's cyber espionage threat intelligence team. The research we're discussing today is titled APT-41, A Dual Espionage and Cybercrime Operation.
2: Starting in about 2012, APT-41 is a Chinese state-sponsored espionage group that conducts financially motivated activity uh, as well for personal gain.
1: So, there are some unique things about APT 41. Uh, from the outset, there are some things that sort of set them apart from some other groups, particularly Chinese groups. Can you take us through what are some of the things that make them unique? The, one of the big distinct things
0: about APT 41 is the fact that it's conducting both financially motivated cybercrime operations alongside and simultaneously with the cyber espionage campaigns. So usually with the Chinese espionage groups, they tend to do just the nation state stuff. If they're doing anything on the side, it's quite a bit separate. But in the case of APT41, there's a lot of overlap between these two worlds uh, within a single group. So that includes the timing. They're conducting both the financially motivated activity as well as the espionage activity, often on the same day and you know, long running campaigns running at the same time, but also in terms of the tools they're using. So they're using tools that are used by pretty much every other Chinese espionage group, only for espionage stuff. But APT41 will use those same tools also for the financially motivated stuff. So it's uh, pretty unique to this particular group.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And the report uh, goes into some details about how it seems as though they may have gotten their start going after the video game industry.
0: Yes, that's right. So we think that this group, they have a strong personal interest In the video game industry and a lot of what they are doing in the financially motivated world is is targeted against the video game industry so a lot of their earlier operations are concentrated against just not not just video game studios and developers but also you know payment platforms and and you know online forums and other related services that are part of the the world of, of video gaming and a lot of the operations that they are conducting and and how they're conducting these operations. The TTPs uh, will often emerge first in their targeting of video game organizations and then later kind of bleed over into the espionage activity that they're also doing.
1: Does this lead to any speculation that, you know, they got their start doing non-government type of work and perhaps they caught the government's eye and, and they said, hey, you guys are doing some interesting work here. How'd you like to come work for us? Is that a possibility or is that just purely speculative?
2: It is a possibility. And in fact, we have research dating back to at least 2005, indicating that uh, individuals who were responsible for this activity were advertising hacker for hire services. So they were saying they were available for hacking into system networks. And we believe that that was probably in a contractor capacity.
1: Well, let's walk through the the research uh, together. Take me through who does it seem as though they're targeting?
2: Sure. So they have targeted a wide range of industries since at least 2012. So on the espionage side, we've seen them target healthcare and high-tech media travel organizations, really gathering intelligence, which would be aligned with China's five-year economic development plans. And then as Fred mentioned, we have seen them also target video game organizations for primarily financial gain.
1: And where are they targeting? Are are there specific geographic areas that it seems as though they're hitting? They aren't really
0: geographic specialists. It's more of they'll target particular organizations they're focused on regardless of where they are. So there's a tendency, for example, with the healthcare targeting to be concentrated in, say, Western Europe or East Asia, but that's not because of the region, but because that's where that particular industry happens to be. So APT41 is definitely region agnostic, if, Hmm. if that's the term.
1: It's interesting to me, looking through your research, how their activities have shifted over time. It's one of the things you track here. Can you walk us through what are some of the changes that you've seen them make?
0: There's kind of a split in the consistency along the financially motivated activity and the espionage activity. So on the financially motivated side, that's been pretty consistent with targeting of the video game industry, for example. There's just kind of an escalation of the different tactics that they'll use against a particular industry. And so we usually use that as an example of their growth or their growing maturity, at least in terms of their cyber crime activity. For espionage stuff, it's a little different. That one has changed a lot over time. And we have a chart in the report which shows how these industries that they're targeting kind of pop back on and fall back off. And we think that kind of inconsistency or that big shifts in their activity is consistent with them being a contractor. So maybe this group is, you know, they're contracted to target healthcare for a year or two, and then that contract either ends or they move off of it and they contract over to targeting the high tech sector, for example, and then they'll get off of that and, and target something else. At least in terms of espionage activity, their targeting is a lot less consistent at least compared to their financially motivated operations.
1: Yeah, it was interesting, too. One thing that caught my eye in the research was this notion of them moving towards strategic intelligence collection and away from intellectual property theft. I think a lot of us, when we think of the activities of the Chinese, we think about intellectual property theft. But your uh, reporting here shows that uh, there may be a shift away from that.
2: Yeah, since about 2015, we've noticed just overall a shift away from intellectual property theft. They have still been targeting organizations and different organizations that would be in industries of interest for intellectual property, but we actually haven't seen that IP theft. So that brings up uh, interesting questions about Are they gaining intelligence through other means? Uh, But we have seen continued interest in strategic intelligence collection. So targeting of telecom organizations, for example, targeting call data records and SMS records of interest to the Chinese government.
1: Yeah. One of the sections in the report discusses the cyber espionage activity. And you mentioned China's Made in China 2025 plan and how their activities seem to align with that plan.
2: Sure. That is something that we've seen specifically in the medical device industry, for example. China's Made in 2025 plan is pretty specific in the fact that China is really trying to reduce their dependence on importing medical device technology. And so one way to do that is to take that technology and develop it on their own.
1: Yeah, let's dig into some of the case studies that you've outlined here in the report. You know, we we said at the outset that it seems as though these folks had an interest in video gaming. What sort of things did you find in terms of their targeting of that part of the industry?
0: So for the video gaming stuff, this is the sector that I like to talk about the most as the most indicative or provides the best examples of their growth and maturity over the over time. Hmm. So the earliest activity that we saw being conducted by the APT41 actors is pretty low level, pretty basic to start with. It's, you know, things like their activity on different like very Chinese market specific video games, their discovery of of different ways to like bend the rules, different games and and, and targeting some sort of like uh, third-party services that are related to those types of games specifically. And then over time, this expands. So we start seeing it targeting other games that are popular throughout the East Asian region in particular. And we see this start escalating to other types of monetization activity. So that will include things like targeting the real money transaction platforms that let people you know, buy things with real life money for... Mm on converting into in-game value. That includes targeting these specific systems that track how much virtual currency a particular account has. So they would be straight up generating virtual currency and then transferring that to their own actor-controlled accounts and basically money laundering within the game platform itself. And that even escalated to the point where they were even deploying ransomware on different video game studios servers. So you can see definitely there's like this growth in different tactics and the growth of the sophistication of these tactics uh, over time. The big thing that we were trying to highlight in the report is how APT41, how they developed the ability to very successfully navigate through any targeted system that they wanted. So in the video game industry, what they were doing was initially getting into a targeted network and then moving laterally around until they could reach the production environment or where a video game studio or developer builds the next you know, expansion to a game or the next game. So once they reach that environment, that really gave APT41 access to anything they wanted uh, within the game environment, right? So it gives them insight into what the newest games are coming out. It gives them insight into how the games are put together or how they operate internally and, and how they interact with other systems that are set up by the video game company. and reaching that production server puts them in a position to do any number of things. So the primary things being injecting their own code into legitimate, you know, game updates and, mm. you know, files. Also it put them in a position to access the video game company's digital certificates. Right. And so their own injected code could then be used and be signed by legitimate digital certificates. And of course that lends itself quite easily then to supply chain compromises. So that's where this industry is where we saw APT41 initially conducting supply chain compromises. Again, that's they would have access to legitimate files or game updates. They would be able to inject their own code, including you know backdoors or Trojans, into these legitimate updates. And then these would be pushed out. And after being signed by legitimate digital certificates, they would be pushed out to all the users. And now APT41 is in a position to compromise pretty much the entire user base of these mm. particular games. And so once they started doing that within the video game industry, they were able to apply a lot of these lessons and a lot of these exact same TTPs to other software companies. And so that's why we saw these kind of supply chain compromises being conducted and leveraging the software updates for other software companies.
1: Is it fair to say that one element of APT41 is the breadth of tools and techniques they have at their disposal, that they come at things from a lot of different directions and seem to have success doing it?
2: Yes, that's fair to say. APT41 has... A very large tool set, more than some of the other threat groups that we track. We noticed that APD41 has over 46 different malware families. Some of them are shared with other Chinese espionage groups, and some of them, it looks like they have developed on their own.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that you track here are the overlaps between the espionage and the financial operations. I guess it's not unusual to see folks in this line of work doing some freelancing. We certainly hear of that, but it seems like in this case, maybe they've taken that to the next level in in terms of the amount of crossover between the the tools that they're using and when they're doing it.
2: Sure, it is fascinating that they're using state-sponsored espionage tools in their own missions. And that really begs the question, is the Chinese government aware that they're doing these moonlighting missions using state-sponsored tools? And if so, are they okay with that? It's something that we really took a deep dive and really made sure that the attribution was right because we were baffled that activity was actually happening.
1: And you, with high confidence on your own end, you're convinced that it is indeed going on.
2: Correct. And it's something that we conferred with our counterparts as well to make sure that other organizations had come to the same conclusion.
1: Yeah, it's a really fascinating uh, aspect of this, different from what we see with a lot of other groups. Now, one of the things you cover here are the potential links to other Chinese espionage operators. Do you see much crossover? Or are they working with other groups? I mean, we definitely have the indications that there's at least a lot of resource sharing
0: between these groups. And that's part of what's made APT41 really hard to define from the other public reporting that, that's related to this group. But there's a lot of tool overlap, especially regarding a tool that is publicly reported as WinT or WinNTI. Mm-hmm. So at FireEye, we refer to that tool as High Noon, and it's got many, many variants. And for a long time, that tool was believed to be exclusive to a single group. And that was one of the big driving forces behind us defining APC41 the the way we did, actually, was that it was clear to us that that particular tool was not exclusive to a single group and that it was shared across multiple clusters of activity in a way that a lot of the public reporting wasn't really emphasizing or they were kind of glossing over this fact. And that was creating a lot of attribution problems and a lot of problems for defining what exactly belonged in this group and, and how it behaved. And so the big overlap, we would say, would probably be between APT41 and APT17. That particular operation, APT17, is also referred to sometimes as tailgater or uh, deputy dog, as, as well as any number of other public names. But collectively, a lot of times it's all lumped together, all as Win-T or Win-N-T-I, and it makes it really tough to determine what's relevant to one customer or another, or how best to give information to a network defender in a way that's relevant to them and their particular industry. Yeah, so besides the malware overlap, there's also overlap with the digital certificates. There's also overlap with the particular industries that they're targeting, the timing of particular operations. And those are all things that we had to consider when we began to harden the boundaries around what we were going to call APT41.
1: So what are the, the take homes from here in terms of you know, folks protecting their own networks, being cautious about knowing that APT41 is out there and the things that they're up to? What sort of recommendations do you have?
0: At least from my perspective, the thing that is really interesting to me about APT41 is, and this was a point of, of disagreement when we were writing this, like this kind of mismatch between the operations capabilities and what it actually chooses to use. So, and, and a lot of this just comes down to, oh, I guess, awareness is ultimately the point here. So, what I mean is, this is a group that has this enormous library of tools and they've got a ton of malware available to them, both public and private, both shared and not shared, you know, as well as some tools that are exclusive to themselves. And they've demonstrated this enormous array of techniques and procedures that they're willing to pull out. But what's interesting is they don't really dig deep into their bucket of tools. You know, they don't really go deep into their arsenal unless they have to. And so, the demonstrated range of sophistication is is highly variable from one victim to the next, and I think that's been really interesting about it. So, like, you know, at at one organization, for example, they'll just use, like, a simple spearfish, and then they'll get in, and they'll just use publicly available tools, and then that's good enough to achieve what they want. But then, at another organization, you know, they'll rely on an extremely complex supply chain compromise, and they'll rely on whitelisting, and then they'll, you know, deploy like a completely different set of tools than they would anywhere else. And clearly they have the capability, but they'll only use it for like, you know, the most special selected victims or the most high value targets. And, mm-hmm. and so discipline is a really good word for it, like self-restraint, you know, mm-hmm. and part of it is probably them trying to obfuscate their full capabilities or trying to hide their full range of tools. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, that level of self-discipline to, to be able to do that, I think that's that's a key characteristic of APT41's operations.
1: Nalani, what is your take on them?
2: So I think, you know, despite their sophistication, we know they're a very sophisticated group. They have a ton of malware in their tool set. Their initial infection vector into a lot of victims is spear phishing. And so if you can do that security training up front with all of your users to make sure that they're identifying potential spear phishing and reporting it then you can potentially get ahead of the actual infection or at least stopping it early in their tracks because we know that once they get into the environment, they're very quickly moving. And once they compromise, they can quickly move out throughout the environment, compromising multiple locations across geographic regions. So if you can respond quickly, the investigation, you have a higher chance of, of making sure that you're responding appropriately.
0: It's definitely easier to keep them out than try to root them out once they're in.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting insight. I mean, I, I guess they're, you know, these folks are well-funded. It seems as though they're patient, they're persistent, and they have a, a range of tools that they can draw from.
2: Correct. I think the move towards telecoms is a really interesting trend and something that we have seen across different Chinese groups recently. It's very interesting because telecoms give access to a wide number of individuals, and it also provides that degree of separation between the threat actor and the actual victim. So that is an interesting trend that we've seen across groups and with APT41.
0: Besides that shift towards strategic intelligence collection, the other thing that's pretty cool about APT41, or interesting, maybe not cool, but it seems that they're deployed for like tactical op- operations sometimes. So we identified instances, for example, where they were targeting a hotel, and because of their behavior, because of what they were targeting, and, and going for like you know reservations information and PII at the hotel. And, and the timing of that particular operation was that they were targeting this hotel just before a group of Chinese VIPs were staying at the exact same facility. Indicating that they were probably sent to, you know, reconnoiter the facility just before this visit. So that sort of like tactical deployment we think is is pretty unique to APT-41, or at least definitely one of the first instances of us observing it. Another instance, for example, they were targeting a news and media organization in Hong Kong. And based on the timing of that particular operation, we think that it was related to the umbrella movement protests that were happening at the time. And we think that that particular campaign led to the identification of protesters that were associated with the movement. And it ultimately led to those protesters being locked out of the political process as it was developing in Hong Kong. So these kind of, you know, really in the trenches kind of activities, these kind of like tactical deployments stand in pretty stark contrast to the bigger, you know, strategic intelligence collection, more typical espionage activity that we usually see with these Chinese groups. So if anything, A, it demonstrates how flexible this group is and the the wide variety of operations that they can be tasked against, but also B, the capability of this operation to point their tools, point their TTPs, point their capabilities at so many different kinds of activity and and so many different kinds of taskings as required.
1: Yeah, they're sort of the the go-to team when something needs to get done. These these may be the folks that get sent out that can do it reliably.
0: Right, And, and across a wide range of activity.
1: Our thanks to Nalani Fraser and Fred Plan from FireEye for joining us. The research is titled APT41, A Dual Espionage and Cybercrime Operation. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and zero trust.